Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and I am joined by my fellow co-author, Carrie Baldwin. We are both co-authors of Faith Seeking Freedom, Libertarian Christian Answers to Tough Questions. The topic for today is actually going to be about capitalism, which is what Chapter 5 is all about. Carrie, thanks for joining me to talk about this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Doug. So, you know, this series we've been going through as sort of an author's commentary, maybe a behind-the-scenes look at how the book was made and why we chose these chapters, and maybe a little bit of like why did we put these chapters in a certain order, although I think we covered that in episode one of these, so I don't have to go into all those details. But I really like doing these, and I like the way we have it set up to where like two authors can just talk about the process of writing the book and some of the questions and some of the sort of meta questions behind this. And so the first question that like comes to my mind when I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, we should have a chapter about capitalism. And I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't Christians be in favor of capitalism? But you and I both know that lately, and by lately, I mean like, you know, as long as you and I can probably remember that not all Christians are in favor of capitalism, are they? No, they're not. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the things that you hear Christians say that kind of baffle you when it comes to like being anti-free market? Well, you know, I, I hear a lot of things. I think the biggest, well, there are a couple of things that, that come to mind that I think Christians have a tendency to object to when they hear the word capitalism. First is greed, right? They associate capitalism or the idea of capitalism with greed. And this is actually a very old association. It goes back to the Victorian era and the idea that capitalism or the market was the man's domain. And so Women were there in order to sort of be the reasonable moral counter to the greedy capitalist society. So that association actually goes pretty far back. I mean, like in like a balance to the world, like women are at home being not greedy and caretakers and whatever, or? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, there's a great book called Neither Complementarian Nor Egalitarian, which actually goes through the history and explains all of this, but women actually got involved in politics specifically because of this idea that capitalism was greedy and we needed to sort of offset or balance that, have a, you know, nurturing, caring counterpart, so to speak. So the idea was, well, we need capitalism in order to build wealth. Capitalism is necessarily greedy, so we need a counter to that. And that, that all came from the Victorian era and the Industrial Revolution and that sort of thing. I feel like greed or greediness is sort of like the theory of everything for what's wrong with an economy for most people. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, if it's what's wrong with it? Oh, it's just greed. It's oh, just greed. you know, like Amazon kept running during the pandemic because they're greedy. Like yeah. that's the only reason that can explain it. Right. <laughs> well, and it's also runs parallel to that the objection that socialists have about, you know, those failed socialist 
experiments, so to speak, in other countries, they'll say, well, the reason why it failed was because of corruption. And corruption is just another word that entails greed. So this idea that, you know, capitalism is bad because it's greedy or socialism fails because of corruption or greed. Yeah, it's sort of like that's the default argument against it, against capitalism, against a free market. And if we step back and think about it for a second, that doesn't even begin to make sense because it's not like in a socialist system, which is the opposite of capitalism, that people aren't greedy because we see that socialism fails and oftentimes or all all the time it's blamed on greed or corruption. Well, they just didn't do it right. I know. <laughs> that's, that's the argument. Well, they didn't do it right, or, or it was right. it was because of this other thing, or it was because of an embargo by the capitalist, you know, overlords yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it, it seems like that it tries to explain too much. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder why people don't recognize their own greed when they have these discussions about, like, say, billionaires or the wealthy. And it's like, oh, well, you know, he's just in it for the money. I'm like, he has all the money he needs. That's not why, or they, or whoever it is, they have all the money they really need and they have way more than they need. So I'm like, there's got to be something else explaining it. But on the other hand, it's like, but I'm not greedy. When I show up and try to get a job, I don't ask for as much as I possibly can get for my job. I, I just graciously accept what I'm given because I'm not greedy. Like no one says that. Right. No, everyone goes into a job interview thinking, all right, well, they may not be like scheming in this sort of like, how can I, you know, get every dime out of this employer? But they are thinking, I want to get as much as I possibly can, not just monetary benefit, but like all the benefits. Like I want to get a competitive wage and I want health insurance and I want, you know, paid time off and I want these things. So whatever the package there is, they want as much as they possibly can for their own lifestyles. And no one says, oh, but you're being too greedy because you want more than whatever the person's willing to offer you. You want to get, you want to just keep taking a little bit more, a little bit more. Right. No, no one says that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And it's, I don't know, it's a little ironic because I mean, certainly you would have to think that somebody, you know, working at, at a low skilled job, McDonald's or whatever, who is asking for a $15 minimum wage, who obviously doesn't get it for reasons that we can understand because we understand something about how the economy works, their default position is to go to the government and say, this isn't fair. We've asked for these things. We need these things in order to you know, survive in, in the economy that we have in order to pay for all of the things that we need. Give us $15 an hour. And it is weird that that's not considered selfish, except for the fact that, you know, most people don't understand what it takes to run a business. Most people don't understand why the government can't actually create that, that universal minimum wage without having very negative effects on, on the economy. Yeah. So and that's not even saying that they're not, I mean, even you could even give them the argument that they deserve or it should be at $15 and you can still evaluate their desire to see that as selfish and greedy. Mm-hmm. There's the other objection too that, that maybe goes along with this, which is the idea that the quote unquote market is referring only to the stock market and, you know, the what I perceive as as gambling, right, on the stock market. 
and playing the stock market. A lot mm-hmm. of people, you know, when we had the the shutdown for COVID, a lot of people were thinking, oh, we're just shutting down the stock market. Big whoop-de-doo. You're taking <laughs> a two-week vacation to flatten the curve and we're shutting down the stock market. Like, we don't need that running. I talked to, to Christians who didn't see that when we use the term the market, we're talking about the entire economy. We're talking about, you know, you going to the grocery store and exchanging money and, you know, for food, they're thinking stock market, big billionaires, you know, just playing with money as though it's, you know, just something that you can toss away. Wow. I didn't talk to anybody like that, Gary. That's really sad. Yeah. There's a lot of people. (laughs) I'm sure they stopped following me on Facebook because I tried correcting them and (laughs) it didn't go very well during... Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I actually was a similar comment about billionaires. There was a meme I saw about like, if we did a wealth tax, it would take this much money from the Walton family, this much money from the Bezos family, this much money from the Gates family. And it, and it used the family as in like, oh, there's the new aristocracy or something. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like, this is how much more money could be could be part of the government. And I read the comments, you know, they say never read the comments, but I was reading the comments and there was literally someone who said, that money's just sitting there in bank accounts doing nothing. Ugh. And I'm like, no, oh not. my gosh, this person really doesn't know. Like, yeah. look, you can even have the argument that billionaires have too much money. That's still not true. And that's still dramatically, like that's the opposite of reality, right? Like that it's literally not sitting in an account for them to liquidate anytime they want. Otherwise, we'd have a very different situation. Right. But anyway, before we get too far afield, just you know, defending billionaires because that's what libertarians do, right? We we defend billionaires <laughs> because somehow we benefit from that. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. I'm I'm still. I am in favor of anybody trying to get as much of a wage as they possibly can mm-hmm. through peaceful means. So if you want to show up to your boss and or to your potential employer or even a current employer and say, I think I'm worth this much more than I'm getting now, or I think I'm worth this much for your company, you're you're welcome to do that. And I don't find you greedy. But on the other hand, if you try to make money doing something on the other end of that side of the coin, if you will, I also don't necessarily think you are greedy. It might be true that some people are greedy, mm-hmm. but we certainly aren't um, you know, attributing people's success in the market to greed. You know, we're certainly not doing that. Yeah. But the Bible does say something about the love of money. And whether or not you're a billionaire or whether or not you're poor or anywhere in between, we do need to talk about, you know, what does the love of money mean? And is that even related to pursuing profit and being greedy? Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the explanation that I've always been given about the love of money is, and the scripture verse referencing that, is that... We're not talking about the desire to earn enough income to not just pay the bills, right, but to actually improve life. That's not what is being talked about when it comes to the love of money. In fact, there's, and gosh, I'm going to forget the biblical passage, but the uh, parable of the talents where the master is giving money to, to his servants and he's saying, go and reinvest it. and you know, those who took that money and reinvested it and turned a profit were then later, you know, praised by the master and given, you know, and given more. And the guy who went and, you know, dug it, squandered it, squandered it, or even just put it in a hole and didn't, didn't do anything with it. 
he was chastised for that. So, you know, we have to be careful with that verse talking about the love of money. When, when the thing that is sinful when it comes to the love of money is actually squandering it, actually not using it, you know, either to improve your, your family's life or to improve the life of others. I mean, I think that there's more than enough verses in scripture that talk about us also giving away our wealth as Christians. That doesn't mean, you know, self-sacrifice to the point where you can't even take care of yourself, right? But there does come a point, and we know this if we've had any measure of success, there does come a point with your income that you have expendable income. And that I think we are supposed to share as Christians, but that is entirely up to the individual. And of course, the Bible also talks about the cheerful giver. And so that's an individual choice as to how much to give, where to give and that sort of thing. But we can't give without turning a profit. Yeah, I mean, you can probably, I could imagine that a a retort to what you just said there, like we can't give without, unless we make a profit. Because I, you know, I agree with that. I imagine the person saying, yeah, but would also say, well, you could just live super sacrificially and give up a lifestyle and use the, I guess, the gap in the fact that you've reduced your lifestyle to give to other people. And that's certainly true. And that's an individual choice. The obvious, you know, option there is like, well, what about the people who are, you know, wealthy as Christians? And if you knew them, you'd know that they're not greedy. And I'm not talking about billionaires per se, but just, you know, generally successful business persons who give a a market product or service that people love. And then they also use their profits for even furthering the kingdom in other ways. Mm -hmm. I can imagine it, you know, just take that person who you like, oh, I, I know that businessman. Yeah, he's he's a millionaire. He's, he's you know, he's he's older. He's, you know, made a good business for himself and he is generous with his profits and all of that. Well, imagine if that person chose to just simply barely get by and then sacrifice some of that. Well, that would be fine. I mean, in terms of like what pleases God more, I don't, I don't think either pleases God more. But I do say, you know, I, when I was growing up, there was this, um, people would say, well, God doesn't need our money because God can do whatever God wants. And, you know, over the years, I'm like, no, God really does need our money because that money represents our will, our energy, our work, our value in things. And I think that that does really help in building for the kingdom because it actually accomplishes things. So, you know, think of one more person not in poverty, either because of a job or because of charity or because of, you know, starting a new organization because this new millionaire now has free time, yeah. you know, when he's in his late fifties or whomever, whoever this is, right? Like they're in their late fifties, early sixties. And they're like, all right, I'm successful. The business is running and I have a profit that I can start devoting to funding nonprofits and helping them be entrepreneurial and helping them grow even further. So there's just a whole lot of like bad vibes from the idea of profit that Christians tend to shy away from. And I, okay, I feel like I'm preaching to the audience here because like you and I both know, Carrie, that like our audience is all probably saying amen to most of this stuff. Right. So we wrote this book because we want to help convince others of this same view. So Faith Seeking Freedom is helping people sort of make the case that we're kind of talking about right now. And we're not exactly giving all the content of the book away. We want you to buy the book. But it also is a, it's just a reminder that we have a lot of work to do to convince people that capitalism, profit, and freedom of markets is super important. I think I stepped on you wanting to say something. 
Yeah, no, that's okay. What I've got in mind is there's a current controversy, and I won't mention names, but I'm going to try and describe it here. There's a current controversy over a very well-known theologian who became very wealthy off of, you know, all of his books and media and everything that, you know, he did build a business on in terms of a quote-unquote ministry. And now there are some Christians who have heard things like, I mean, on top of the question of bad theology, which is almost getting set aside right now, now there's this question of, oh, well, he used a ghostwriter. He didn't actually write all these books and he made all of this money off of Christians who had no idea that they were buying books that were written by a ghost author instead of himself. And, you know, they look at, oh, he's got a mansion, he's got a private this, a private that. So there's a lot of judgment that can come up from Christians who see that, especially when they're struggling themselves, right? What's happened over the past year? Well, a lot of us have lost our jobs, you know, where our economy is hurting. We've had breaks in the supply chain. There's real problems that are happening. And so, of course, we look at this particular Christian who became successful using capitalism. And now there's this question about whether or not he's a good moral Christian because he used capitalism and created wealth off of people who are now struggling. So that probably is something that sticks in the minds of lots of Christians who question whether capitalism is really compatible with Christianity because they see wealthy Christian people not using their their money in or their wealth in a way that maybe the rest of us normal people would agree with or they built their wealth in a way that you know maybe seems deceitful like with ghostwriting and so they start to judge but i think a part of that has to do with how badly we're actually hurting now in the economy more so than this christian's a bad christian for you know being successful through capitalism hmm. yeah it's interesting that our own position often gives us the sort of right or we feel like we have the right to criticize others who have what we don't. And it really does affect where we are, where we sit, you know, like a year ago, as we're recording this, you know, a year ago, most of us were sitting at home and we were either somewhat envious if we wanted to be at our job of the people who could still be at their job because of, you know, a governor or so-and-so, you know, whoever it was was making the decision said, nope, you got to stay home. Nope, you can go to work. And, you know, regardless of how one feels about that situation, like our state of mind, it's hard not to be like, oh, I want that. Right. Because my situation is legitimately bad and no one's going to say, oh, you're just self-pitying yourself. You're going to be like, oh, no, of course it's bad. Everybody's bad for everybody, right? right? So there's no judgment in that in my comment here. It's just that, our state of being and our state of well-being is very much part of the reasons we feel entitled to judge other people and to judge someone like Jeff Bezos or you know whomever it might be who seems to be doing really really well you know i for one am really thankful that amazon existed and was strong enough to provide goods and services during a pandemic i realize that that does not come without its problems for either a libertarian or a christian 
But, you know, not everything is going to be a perfect, <laughs> we don't live in Libertopia yet. So right. we're not going to have the, the perfect capitalist economy to show, to, to show people up. But that, that actually brings me to the next thing, which is on our list here to talk about is like capitalism seems to be zero sum in the minds of most people. You know, these memes are posted now that's, you know, during the pandemic, Americans saw their wages or income fall by this percentage. And Jeff Bezos made that money every hour during the entire year of 2020 mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm making up the numbers, but that's not, I mean, I'm exaggerating on purpose, but that actually might be what the meme said. Yeah. It might as well have been, right? And so it's sort of implying that Jeff Bezos took money from people, like stole yeah. money, and he's rich because we're not. Right. Yeah, well, and I think, I mean, capitalism isn't zero-sum. Although I have to give Gary Chartier a nod here and say, what do we mean by capitalism? Because, you know, and he points out, if by capitalism we mean the system that we have now, then I think you and I would both agree that the system we have now is, is seriously flawed. When a libertarian is talking about capitalism, we're almost always talking about a freed market, which is minimally or completely unregulated. And in that situation, you have people exchanging and that exchange wouldn't happen voluntarily if it wasn't mutually beneficial. But when we say it's mutually beneficial, right? Doug, if I'm paying you money for a book, that whatever makes it mutually beneficial isn't going to necessarily be the same, right? Mm. You may get $13 out of that book, but I may actually get way more value personally out of that book than just a mere $13. And so when we say that things are mutually beneficial, right, we can't actually say that each party is benefiting in an equitable sort of way, yeah, there's an exchange of value there, $13 for a book that's priced $13. But, you know, $13 for you might, you know, might buy you some food for your kids, which is even more valuable than the book itself, which can't feed your kids. And I may glean information from the book. my dog. Yeah. I may glean information from the book that I couldn't get anywhere else. So that's why capitalism or a free market isn't zero sum. As far as, you know, Amazon is concerned, what we benefited from, I mean, for crying out loud, if it wasn't for Jeff Bezos, we wouldn't have been able to actually sit at home for two weeks or a year and order stuff so that we could sit at home. Like, (laughs) you know, all of the people who are mad at Jeff Bezos need Jeff Bezos in order to make the lockdown work. So, or they're complaining on a platform that is powered by Amazon Web Services. Yeah, yeah. That's even more ironic, right? It's like the woke crowd going to Starbucks using their iPhones to complain about, you know, the man. Right. Well, and I think, you know, if we're trying to appeal to that crowd, right, we can say, look, there are problems with the way our economy functions. Our economy is not a strictly capitalist economy. It's a mixed economy. And what's it mixed with? Well, it's mixed with socialism. Well, let's talk about what's actually causing these problems, because I think that we could actually agree that there's a lot of problems that both sides agree are problems. My way of dealing with that is because there's a lot of overlap. When I talk to people on the left and they're complaining about capitalism, because usually it's the people on the left who complain about capitalism. Mm -hmm. People on the right at least give a nod to free markets. 
even if they aren't entirely for free markets, which we'll get to in our episode about chapter six, because it has to do with, you know, freedom of, you know, moral freedom. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people on the left, I will tell them, I bet you that if you and I sit down with our list of grievances about the economy, they would look very similar. Very similar. And some of the things that I would sort of walk somebody through and be like, okay, so you think so-and-so has too much money. Why do you think they have too much money? Oh, well, probably because you think that means that they get too much power. Well, wait, who's giving them this power? Mm -hmm. You know, right? So you go down that road with it, or it all comes down to whenever you see somebody point out the sort of power that a wealthy billionaire has that the common people don't. Mm-hmm. What you're at the bottom of it, and this is through the lens of you know freedom and being inclusive with an equal in in an economy that I'm speaking, of course, because that's kind of where that's where we come from. It's basically it all comes down to I don't have as much freedom in this imbalanced economy, this crony capitalist economy as Jeff Bezos does or as Bill Gates or whomever it might be, right? So like when we're down to the bottom line of who has the upper hand or who's at a disadvantage or an advantage, it's always in my mind about leading somebody who complains about these things to saying, so basically what you're saying is we don't have a free economy. We have an economy where this person is advantaged more than you are. And when you acknowledge that, you're like, oh, so we need to, Sort of, I don't want to call it level of playing field because that can have a connotation that I don't mean to imply or infer. But we we want you to have the same freedom that Jeff Bezos has, which is also the same freedom to fail, right? Like right. how many, you know, we talk about that. You know, and you were talking about the $13 book. Our listeners will be glad to know that you can get it for $8 on Kindle or $12 if you want to order a <laughs> physical copy. So, um, but anyway, the, here's the thing though. I might say, hey, Carrie, I want that book that you have. And you're like, okay, it's 12 bucks. Here you go. And I give you 12 bucks. It's also possible that I didn't get $12 value out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's also possible that that $12 is too cheap a price for you to give another book away. Because you're like, oh, wait, I value that. I mean, how how many things do we have in our homes that we would gladly get rid of if someone just paid us the right price? But because it won't fetch much on Facebook Marketplace or wherever, we just keep it. Like it, yeah. it might serve some usefulness and it's just stuck in a drawer somewhere and we're like, oh, you know what? I might use that someday or whatever. Yeah. Like I literally, we did not give away a crib when we were done with that stage of life because it was made of wood and there was like one small piece broken and we couldn't get anything for it. And I'm like, shoot, I'll just put it up in my shed and I'll use it for parts at some point. And then like, it was literally like four years later, I was like, oh, oh, I can build this. That my, kid, my kids are asking me to build something. It's like, oh, hey. So like, yeah. we don't know, even in a free market, doesn't mean that you will gain from your transaction. It means you're free to find out if you will. Yeah. And you have the freedom to make that choice. Yeah. And of course, if you're being defrauded or you're being, you know, swindled, then of course that's where that's where legal ramifications can come in. That's another chapter topic altogether. But anyway, I don't know if you have any further comments on that. Well, I was just gonna say probably one thing that we would draw a distinction on is what is wealth, right? Because we do mm-hmm. talk about the wealthy and the wealthy are better off, but what is wealth? Because it's not necessarily having lots of money, right? And sure, money can can buy things, but um, you know I've heard wealth described as having time or what you said the, the freedom to do something, right? 
I'm more wealthy if I have the time to be able to go on vacation. And yes, that costs money, but I have to have the time in order to do it to begin with, right? So, you know, even questions like that, that we... Are you saying you have to have a surplus? I mean, I'm sorry, a profit? (laughs) Yeah, you got to have something. To go on vacation? (laughs) But even like, so like even, you know, you had brought up, you know, self-sacrifice and living a minimalist kind of life so that you can turn around and, and give. I mean, even by doing that, right, where we're having to create the surplus, we're having to create something new, even if it's with us voluntarily working with less. So that doesn't change. If capitalism really was zero sum, we couldn't have charity. We couldn't have vacations. We couldn't have any of those things because of the zero sum, but it's obviously not zero sum because, you know, the wealth of America has, it's raised up the world out of poverty, which, you know, all went to a pile of dung thanks to the lockdowns. But um, we shall rebuild. The point being is if we want to be able to do all those good things, right, we want to be able to, to provide for the poor. We want to be able to provide at least cheaper education or free education. I mean, Khan Academy is is free. If we want to be able to provide those things, we have to build wealth and build surpluses of time and money and resources. And the only way we can do that is with capitalism. You can't do that with socialism. It doesn't work. Yeah, you're right. And we explain this in our book. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we we had on our notes here to talk a little bit about the poor and inequality. And I don't want to dive in too much because I want people to go and buy the book. Yeah. But the one thing that, you know, you kind of touched on it just a moment ago. With people who are poor, we want to be especially cautious because, you know, as I said earlier, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't judge anybody for wanting to get as much of a wage as possible. And I understand if someone is truly poor, it could benefit from something like a minimum wage raise or a job offer that's better than what they have or whatever it might be. Like there's going to be benefits in those ways for them. And I don't disparage anybody for seeking the best wage they can. I also don't disparage anybody for seeking help when they need it. And I also don't disparage anybody for wanting to live a life of sacrifice and minimalist, if you will. That's minimalism is sort of a like a luxury good for for the upper middle class. Like, oh, I'm gonna live minimally or whatever. But you can choose to live minimally in a sort of spiritual and humble way. And that's totally fine. When it comes to capitalism and the poor, I can't see it any other way other than you can't lift people out of poverty without some engine that lifts more than just the people who are poor. The only other option you have is confiscation or wealth transfer. Mm -hmm. And you can do wealth transfer under capitalism by simply having people serve one another. Right. And the wealth transfers voluntarily in an organic fashion, or you can forcibly confiscate it. And I would say the the former is definitely preferable to the latter, especially if you're a Christian. Right. I can understand if, you know, you want to advocate for communities in which people who are poor are taken care of. But, you know, it's always been interesting to me that people talk about these statistics about, oh, the, the wealth gap or, or whatever it might be. And I'm like, look, you can pick any group of people and find the wealth gap and say, this is what explains it. But you know, as you and I both know, and as I probably our listeners all, all know, is that if we were to compare poor people in the United States with poor people around the world, they're pretty wealthy. Now, 
they don't get to tap into the fact that they're wealthy because they live in an area that's different or that's with people who are much wealthier than they are. But the idea in terms of material gain are much better off. If you were to be behind the veil of ignorance, as it were, for where in the world do you want to grow up poor? It would certainly not be sub-Saharan Africa. It would very much likely be in the United States, uh, in Europe, in other places that are at least more capitalist than they are socialist. So anyway, that's that's my sort of like meta analysis of like what it, how capitalism and inequality and, and poverty sort of relate. And we do get into it a little bit more in the book. Do you have any other thing else to add before we wrap up? I would just say the only other thing that I think you know, listeners, especially those listeners who are not already on board with capitalism. I think one thing that we do explain in the book is is what poverty is. Because you mentioned, Mm. you know, being poor in America is not the same as being poor in Africa. And there's a reason for that. And, you know, without giving away too much, it's because poverty is the starting place for all human beings. And that starting place is definitely relative, but it doesn't matter what sort of economy where we have we're always going to have poor people because we're always going to have people who are just starting out. And you're always going to have situations, you know, catastrophic situations that throw them back into that starting spot. So like I said, I don't want to give away too much more. We explain it in the book, but there is, we are not promoting this idea of like what AOC talks about. This is not bootstrapping, you know, in order to get along. We don't promote that idea that the poor are just, you know, SOL when it comes to to anything. We're saying that if we want to help the poor, if we want to increase wealth for everybody and increase opportunity for everybody and provide cheaper healthcare and cheaper education that are also high quality, what we're saying is, is for those things, we don't need the state. That's creating a problem. We need a free market. We need capitalism. Well, I couldn't say it better myself. Thanks. You can get the book at faithseekingfreedom.com and that will link you to the Amazon purchase page. You can also get the free study guide on that website as well. You can um, sign up for that. And that is great for like group study or if you just want to kind of read through the chapters and do sort of personal reflection and just sort of make sure that you've digested the material and want to reflect on it, you can certainly do that as well. So Carrie, I think you and I are doing the next chapter together. So in a few weeks, we will see each other to talk about the next chapter. Which is Christian ethics, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to answer the question that everybody wanted to know. Do I have to endorse prostitution? (laughs) Don't answer it. You got to wait. not answering it yet. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.